Hello, you're listening to Thought Starters, a podcast on the business of creativity, recorded in the pod at White City Place. I'm David Michaud. On today's episode, style. But not the kind of style you wear, the kind of style you build. We take a look at the latest exhibition at London's Royal Institute of British Architects, an exploration of 500 years of aesthetics in architecture. And in particular, what style in architecture communicates and how, weaving in the influence of mass media. Using virtual reality technology, the exhibition takes visitors on a journey through time, from the Renaissance, where the influence of classical architecture spread through printed volumes, through to the era of postmodernism, where the channel surfing of television provided a new and disjointed source of stylistic influence. Hi, I'm Shumi Bose. I'm a curator of exhibitions at the Royal Institute of British Architects. Hi, I'm Frederick Helberg. I'm director and founder of Space Popular, an architectural designer based in London. Shumi Bose is a teacher, curator, and editor based in London. She's the senior lecturer and coordinator of contextual studies in architecture at Central St. Martins. In 2016, she co-curated the British Pavilion at the Venice Biennale of Architecture, which explored the future of the home. She is also a curator of exhibitions at the Royal Institute of British Architects in London and has put together their current exhibition, Freestyle, Architectural Adventures in Mass Media, for which she commissioned design duo Space Popular. Frederick Helberg is one half of that design duo, along with Lara Lesmes. The two are graduates from the Architectural Association and founded Space Popular in Bangkok in 2013 and have since completed built projects in both Asia and Europe. They also produce research investigating topics as wide-ranging as masonry structures, space of political debate, renewable materials, and virtual architecture. And it is, of course, that lattermost, which is part of Freestyle, Reba's first virtual reality exhibition. So I was asked to find um, designers who might be able to respond to the theme of style and Space Popular seemed kind of quite high up on my list of uh, people to ask. The t- theme of style came up because of a program of exhibitions that the Reba have committed to following the interests of um, a publication by Sebastiano Serlio in the 15th century. Um, essentially, Serlio's publication set out some kind of universal and fairly constant themes in architecture like geometry and perspective, style is another one, urban situations is another one. And um, the Reba decided to flesh out these themes through a program of exhibitions, and style is the second one of these. And the reason we chose Serlio is because uh, lots of people wrote books in the 15th century, 16th century, but um, Serlio's was aimed at everybody in the architecture, building, construction trade. It had pictures, it was in Italian, and uh, it was aimed at kind of mass comprehension. So it makes sense that the Reba would decide to speak in this spirit. Yes, yeah, so when we, when we were approached by, by Shumi and, and Royal Institute of British Architects with this question of style we're obviously quite thrilled also kind of interesting to that we were obviously thinking like why are we the right ones to respond to this question which i think is kind of speaks a little bit to the whole thing in many ways because i think i mean in and in the current kind of 
state of architecture and design generally. Like the fact that just the stuff we do, maybe it looks a lot like a lot of other people's work, but it also kind of stands out from any other, just the way it kind of looks. And I think that it obviously speaks to the way we think about architecture and design generally, but we were also, apart from that fact, kind of thrilled to think about how to think about style in relationship to this one amazing old book. And it made perfect sense to us with what we're actually really interested in thinking about and the kind of research we've been starting about two or three years prior to this, which is the question of media. Because for us, it's really, I mean, that's essentially what freestyle kind of um, says in the end, the, con the conclusion or what we hope it to communicate um, that style and media are completely related and Serlio being like the, f the first in architecture, the first kind of mass media object, essentially. And, and, and uh, again, not published in, in Latin, but in Italian and in a language that, that's easy to understand. And clearly the result was that like in England and elsewhere, it just spread and people were able to copy it, which is the whole kind of nature of Renaissance architecture to imitate, right? Yeah, I mean, I'm going to jump in and say um, I didn't pick or we didn't approach Space Popular because of their particular style or because they have style, which they do in buckets. <laughs> if you meet them, you'll see. Um but more because of what could be done with the theme. I think style tends to be a slightly dirty word in terms of the design industry, unless you're talking about somebody who has a specific style or kind of putting labels on some things. But as a phenomenon, what style does, how it operates, how it sort of coalesces around various ideas and fashions and technologies. I thought that we thought that Space Popular might have a good time responding to this. Also because we're all geeks, I think, it's fair to say, that we sort of really enjoy historic research and kind of trying to see what that brings to bear on design today, especially kind of going forward. Um, style obviously exists. Nowadays, I think we'd be hard-pressed to say, you know, what's the dominant style in architecture today? But they're all sort of questions that have long tentacles. They go back into all sorts of different parts of culture. And I thought this might be up space popular street in terms to research. And of course, the Reba is committed to um, supporting young practices that seem like they have a different way of doing things. So thinking about people who would get a kick out of the theme, have a different take on it in relation to their existing research on media and technology and um, who could do with a, a platform talking about how architecture might move forward, it seemed like a good match. Yeah. And maybe just to say something about the kind of um, what we worked out together and the kind of material that's behind the show. Obviously, the starting point being this Italian Renaissance man, Serlio. But really in order to be able to come to some kind of conclusion or to even build up the, this enormous model that's in the exhibition or the carpet, we had to know basically roughly what books were published and what kind of influence did they have. And then the relationship to that 
what kind of media hardware was available at what time. So like when was printing invented, what type of innovations were added, such as lithography, and then onwards onto photography, motion picture, and all the way up to the internet, and how they intersected. We also needed to know which British architects were alive when, and most importantly, what style they built in. But maybe we should break down what's in the room and what the exhibition is for anyone who hasn't had a chance to visit. So I'll try and do this quickly. Um, because when you work on an exhibition, as we have been at the Rebo for two years, it's really hard to kind of put into um, short descriptions. But that being said, the gallery, the experience of freestyle is kind of trying to trace the path or the kind of journey that styles have taken in the British Isles between, let's say, 1550 approximately to the near future. I think it goes all the way to kind of 2050. And we're looking at the relationship between the evolution of different styles, so moving from the Renaissance style that we've already mentioned through various kind of stylistic movements and looking not only at the kind of successive evolution of style, but how that's happened. And what's been really exciting for me as an historian, but also for the Reba as an institution with a collection, is that Space Popular proposed that there's, there's this really strong relationship between media and style particularly mass media and style, that style is only established when you see things repeated and that repetition is produced through media, mass media particularly. And it's out of this repetition that you can kind of spot something like a trend or a pattern or a fashion. And this is what gets consolidated as style. So it wasn't only about tracing there's this begat, this begat, this begat, this, but it was also about this kind of relationship with technology and media, which I think opens things up to people who aren't necessarily in architecture, but who might be interested in like television or cinema or Game Boys or what have you, because Space Popular's contention is that all of that feeds into the evolution of style. So I haven't done a good job of explaining the exhibition, <laughs> but there's an illustrated carpet, a large scale model and a very immersive VR film in four parts. And perhaps I should invite you to talk a bit more about that then, Fred. What about all these three different media working together? Yeah, we we wanted really, ideally, the exhibition to be very easy, easy to approach and understand. So everything in the exhibition is um, a diagram to some degree. Everything can be as much as possible kind of quantified and understood like the carpet that you come in and you literally stand on like every two centimeter represents one year in history from 1450 up to 2100 literally <laughs> <laughs> and you can always wherever you are in the exhibition look down and see where you're standing and then trace that lit location literally to this model which is which adheres to the same logic and up on the walls where all these amazing collection objects are from Reba so and then on top of that we have these VR films that uh, that comes in four acts which all together is 25 minutes uh, of immersive experience where basically you're kind of taken through this whole story by a narrator who shows you example, brings you into rooms, and literally shows you what a camera looked like in 1850 
or would a so troop look look like uh, in the in the great exhibition at Crystal Palace while you're seeing Crystal Palace? So ideally, like with all these com- things coming together, the audience can really really learn something. Like our our point was not just make the point and then people leave with the point, but they would actually learn enough to be able to maybe even make their own, their own mind and mm-hmm. see like, oh, I'm interested in this specific link or an in, interested in the specific point of history or indeed, you know, where the, the fourth act ends up, which is in the future, which of course we leave kind of open-ended a bit on what we think will happen, but it's all in the title in free style. Obviously, we think that probably it, this is what's hardest to kind of trace out for us, but also what's kind of most interesting is how did people think in these past times that we're looking at? What did they actually think? Was there kind of which year, year, which times had style anxiety or media anxiety or or kind of concerns of what was happening with architecture or excitement of what was happening with architecture? Because it's that we can look at relatively clearly now. We can't see what's going to happen, but we can understand what people by and large think. Yeah, totally. I want to come back to that. But I think also in terms of how we wanted the exhibition experience to be. I mean, obviously, for those of you who haven't been, you should go. But it's it's very beautiful to look at. So I think uh, from a curatorial standpoint, I definitely... I'm glad that, that it's an exhibition that you can enjoy, let's say, aesthetically. So you could just look at it. But there are layers and layers of, you know, increasingly geeky research under it. So if you scratch, you know, and look at the collection objects, you could probably have another experience of linking what you can see with a kind of historical past. If you want to put on the headsets and kind of enter into the immersive world that Fred and Lara have, um, you know, produced this film I was going to say rendered or animated. It's it's none of those. It's really filmmaking craft. Um, and that's another layer of experience you have. Uh, so so it's this sort of world that's talking about style and technology that you can get into depending on what level of kind of information you want or detail that you want. But in terms of the questions that it's asking, like where is this taking us? I mean, I often find that we all teach. I often find that my students um, expect this knowledge to be really static, like this is what Renaissance was, this is what Baroque was, and there it is, it's there in the past. And I think the point of the exhibition was to try and bring some of these questions forward, like these people were thinking about influences from other cultures and how they were being, you know, um, introduced to the British culture, all people were thinking about new technologies and the kinds of publics that we're speaking to. We see examples of Victorian architects who are pandering to the new printing press and producing stripy buildings and kind of decorated buildings because they'll look better in pictures. That's an accusation you have, you know, on Art Daily or other kind of blogs all the time. Um, So just kind of tracing back and making things relatable, I think, and making it clear that these questions of history don't belong to the past they're just they belong to us yeah, if no? you're gonna i mean if you're gonna criticize instagram architecture then you better talk about the last 500 years of architecture <laughs> because it's something that's definitely does not apply to just this this moment mm. for sure i mean the exhibition is full of examples of that of literally buildings having been built and then being accused to look the way they look because of 
the type of printing that magazines could offer in the 19th century. So hopefully that's just one of many aspects that the exhibition is highlighting. Because I think really what we also want to kind of come across and what we just generally encourage is for anyone who's interested to think about anything or what's happening today is to understand what, in which context is this kind of playing out. Because definitely what we also wanted to do, and I think maybe what generally the institution of Royal Institute of British Architects were interested in having us say something about is what is happening with style and architecture in the future, specifically perhaps in relationship to virtual media, which yeah. we, uh, this is the sixth exhibition we do that explores this. And we've done um, these virtual reality films in other galleries around the world. And we spend most of our time thinking about media and architecture in one way or another. But definitely what we hope kind of a visitor comes out with is an understanding that you cannot just look at the now to understand what's going to happen in the future. And really, it's only really by looking back and thinking about it's one human project, essentially, is the way we kind of think about it. And they hope that visitors comes out imagining if you if mm -hmm. you want to think about what a virtual reality headset or augmented reality is going to do to architecture in the future, then what else in architecture in the past or in just our world has been virtual? Because it doesn't need to be digital to be virtual, like a fresco or a tapestry. You know, tapestries were at some point like the floppy disks of, of that time. If you wanted like a narrative to, to travel far, like if you wanted... Um, Sure, if you wanted to tell a story and you wanted people to see how that story played out, then yeah, a yeah, tapestry was, or a series of paintings or... Yeah, exactly. It was a few ways to do it. Mm. You know, opera and theatre, oral, oral history. Mm -hmm. uh, but all of those things were at one point or another super cutting-edge stuff. You're listening to Thought Starters, recorded in the pod at White City Place. In conversation are curator Shumi Bose and Frederick Helberg, one half of design duo Space Popular. One thing to say is that historically speaking, we found that um, if it originated from the singular architect, the kind of place that style comes from, a place that any kind of aesthetic sense comes from, if it originates from a kind of elite, highly educated single architect, that's breaking down. Like the more that media kind of becomes open, right? Because initially you have the genius architect making his drawings because he's been educated with all of these different disciplines. Then as time moves on, you see things like mass printing influencing style. Then you sort of see things like pop culture influencing style. If you look at, you know, a movement that's as extreme as postmodernism, then you sort of see that quote-unquote low culture also infiltrates high culture of architecture and style kind of explodes. And then speaking about VR and digital culture, where we're all effectively producers and we all have the technology to kind of... Um, let's say, assemble our own styles, right? That's where it gets really exciting with the possibilities of design and architecture in a digital or virtual field because up until now, I think VR spaces tend to emulate real-life spaces. But what's been really interesting is learning how space popular see um, 
virtual realms as, let's say, complementary fields of work to the real world. It's not like all architecture is going to be digital now, but it is a question of what the virtual sphere can offer or what kind of freedoms there are in that sphere to design and who gets to dictate those designs. We were talking about a world where you can build things uh, without the very heavy material costs of the real world. So possibilities for style then are much freer. You can, you know, you can have elaborate carvings because it doesn't involve manual labor and so on. Yeah. And realistically, we are spending more time. It's not just kind of geeky gamers and so on, but we are spending more time in virtual environments from healthcare, increasingly learning environments. Um, but you could even go as far as saying, which is, I think what we're arguing next in the exhibition that a book is a virtual technological device, right? So, I mean, all the way since like someone could have access to a virtual device, if you had a book or two in Renaissance times, and if you could read, then you could travel virtually, right? So in that sense, it's kind of putting it in, again into perspective. The big difference now um, which is not to say that it's like the biggest revolution mm. ever. I think probably the book is is much more revolutionary in many ways. Um, is that for the first time ever, we can step into media, which means that like our body becomes part of it and it then becomes of architectural concern. It becomes space, right? And that's really the big difference. Like the you media like, can be... You mean in VR worlds, you can actually physically enter into space and, and you are immersed in it, right? Yeah. Then, of course, it's never never that black or white because your body is still not exactly where your mind is, just like when you're reading a book, right? In a book, you can bring in your your kind of imagination of what it's like to have a body, if it's a, a bit of text about how cold the ocean was, your body's there, right? In some capacity. But in this new medium, you literally see your body. You look down and you see your hands, you see them moving. You look into a virtual mirror and you see your own avatar, which could be, I mean, if it's you or not, you know, if like I often look, walk around looking like a kind of wizard salamander <laughs> recently. Um, but the big difference then is that that it becomes experiential directly through the senses. Now, now it's only really three senses, if we include proprioception, vision, and hearing. But they are they're so believable that it's, it's, it's kind of, you, your mind believes that you're there, which then it's enough to say that you are actually there, right? And that you suggest, you say that means that it's a valid spatial architectural concern that we ought to be taking more seriously than... Yeah, yeah. And then also by, of course, as we have you know, connected media and architecture in the past, and basically we're saying that, look around you, it's all largely inspired by what media was available at the time. Mm -hmm. Now, one, just to go jump back in time briefly, obviously, we haven't seen all these buildings that we're talking about. You know, we are embracing the current media environment where we can learn loads from our studio thanks to the internet, et cetera. But you look back at this, the grandmaster of architecture in England, Sir Christopher Wren, you know, he built over 50 churches and St. Paul's Cathedral. Mm. He left the UK 
once. <laughs> you know, it says something so much about how could he do all those things? You know, they're so precise. A lot of the churches, a lot of ornamentation, it's, and it's obviously referencing something that he didn't come up with, mm-hmm. a lot of it. It was because of media. You know, mm-hmm. we, we are in the same universe as mm-hmm. Christopher Wren in that sense. But obviously the big difference, again, coming back to now, is that if you can be inside the medium, if the medium itself is the architecture or it has the potential to be, then we have to think very differently about it. And then obviously you're free to change it by the minute. You know, there's no material cost. You know, like gold is way, way more cheaper than dirt or bricks in a virtual environment. Everything is flipped on its head. Just because it's, it takes much more manual labor to render things like fur or brick or stone than yeah. it does to do something very regular like marble or gold. Yeah, exactly. There's like there's a whole labor and resource economy involved, which completely flips everything on its head. But it's obviously in comparison to the energy labor that goes into building a building, you could build countless universes in that same time and with that same amount of of energy. Then you see, of course, what's already going into it in in the gaming industry where you have you know hundreds of millions of dollars going into the crafting of a perfect whatever it is, Wild West environment or something like that. You know, it's... Uh, yes, I wanted to ask you that. I mean, I've been working with you on this show for two years and I could probably talk to you about this stuff for another two years. But um, just in terms of what you think of digital, like VR design, how do you think, how well do you think architects are using it? I mean, to my understanding, the capacity that I see architects using it is just in fly-throughs to show clients renders of what the space will look like. But I'm always disappointed with the spaces that I see in VR because they look like pale imitations of real-life spaces. For example, in VR adult environments, I'm always disappointed that they're not more exotic and that they just look like motel rooms like mm. they might in real life. But uh, <laughs> what do you think about how architects are kind of responding to this world? Do you think there's a fear about it or what? Yeah, I think there's there's two really important things to talk about in, in that regard. And one is just the fact that you know anything virtual, unless it's referential, we literally can't understand it. Like if you think about a book, it's full of code that we've learned to understand very precisely. And if it's full of things that do not link to things we already know, then it's illegible, right? Uh, it's babble. And it's the same thing with spatial environments unless there is ground up and down or there's some kind of sense of the body having a scale in relationship to other things which is why often virtual environments like games or anything you'd see looks like something you recognize because if it's abstract then literally you you can't even use it if it's completely abstract right so there's a, a scale there where obviously the more abstract something gets the more abstract it then can follow up on getting, right? Because mm-hmm. it builds up its own language. And on the second point, of course, on how architects currently use it, it's it's interesting because obviously architecture is not just a kind of intellectual process, right? It's, it's a discipline where one has to learn methods and strategies and craft that do not really transfer so easily into to creating something that is not physical, and it's obviously just like, you know, a computer render or even being able to do an etching or being able to build a model or draw in perspective is massively positive for the making of good physical spaces. And I would say that, you know, it's just beneficial if we can basically simulate a building we're going to build physically potentially 
as accurately as possible. Mm-hmm. And and that I think our argument would go against this kind of post-render thing. No, we go, need to go even deeper into the rendering world. You know, because other techniques, they do not simulate light. They do not simulate acoustics. They do not simulate depth and what you would see and not see, which results in, I think, less precise and potentially worse buildings. But having said that, of course, buildings that are designed to be virtual, now because of the technological situation we're in, they are different things. But I think we need to prepare ourselves for in the next five years, but culminating in the next 30 years for every building to have multiple realms, some of them virtual, some of them not, some of them designed by game designers, some of them designed by architects, others by carpenters. And they will be less of a kind of singular thing, a singular building, because it could look like anything. Again, freestyle. You know, it's, 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 it's being liberated. <laughs> I mean, one thing we haven't mentioned is that we had some extra help with this exhibition that I haven't had in previous exhibitions. And that is we had a crack team of 15 sixth formers from uh, a school in East London, the London Design and Engineering University Technical College, LDEUTC. We had 15 sixth formers helping us, I think, to produce this exhibition, to think about it together. And, And so we really started working with them, let's say, last November. So we had these pretty profound conversations with them about what is style and what impact certain media has. Trying to talk about style through something like Pinterest, where you assemble things that have a certain kind of common characteristic and how we might be able to kind of describe style as something that is shared between these objects. Anyway, um, these six formers really helped us because they we took them to architectural exhibitions and we asked them what their experience was in terms of, you know, do you enjoy this? Does this mean something to you? Do you find a way into this subject? And largely they said no to the architectural exhibitions we took them to. No, they were boring. They didn't feel that they were being spoken to. They didn't feel that the material was presented in a way that they wanted to engage with it. And so we took a lot of cues from them in terms of not in-depth research, but in terms of the experience of the exhibition. And specifically, I think, in the VR animations, the fact that there's a little guide who is telling you how things fit together, I think if that seems a bit patronising or didactic at times, it is because it's what the students almost wanted or requested. They wanted to have things made clear rather than a sort of assumed knowledge that often happens in architecture shows where you're showing kind of quite professional or obscure things like architectural plans and sections not everybody can read so i think there was a there was a clear desire in the show to do two things one to make things accessible and two to tell the story of how i think freestyle has become more accessible that it is now an accessible place for us all to have, you know, influence or even creative freedom. Yeah. And and they created, they created a world each and kind of, it's so amazing in a sense. They kind of what we hope to prove, but also what they produced really influenced the way we were thinking about it. Because, um, these students, they have no prior knowledge of the kind of, tools that we were 
um, asking them to work with. Right, you taught them how to use Mozilla Hubs and um, yeah, and then just within you know two or three hours of showing them how how, how it works, they managed to all create their own three dimensional worlds that responded to their own interest of what they were hoping or what styles they were interested in, and it kind of it kind of the fact that it's in there in the exhibition really means a lot to us because it's really at the end of the timeline and we're not then you know asking architects or people who know their stuff or know tools or know how to articulate things and it's an articulation beyond language mm. it's literally just a demonstration of it beyond mm. language which i think is so just these, these kids have come up with <clears throat> these extraordinary worlds some of them um you know, reminiscent on highly stylized things in the real world. So there's this haunted village, I think. There's in kind of Tudor Beeson style haunted village. But there's also some really abstract color field worlds. There's kind of quasi-natural environments. There's things that these... And they, they have logics behind them. The students all explain kind of what state of mind they're trying to create in a physical environment. So I do think the... I mean, I hope that the exhibition has, you know what it seems that you might be looking for. So if, if you want the kind of historical knowledge aspect of it, you can have that. But if you just want to go on an adventure and end up in a sort of semi-abstract VR world where things are configured according to feelings, then that's where you might end up. Yeah, exactly. And also, I mean, what it hopefully, or what it shows to us and what hopefully demonstrates to people that comes to see the show is that historically architecture has been a very elitist practice where like the ability to have your have as a thinker as a creative person or creative theme team to have your mark in the urban environment was is so unattainable for so many people throughout history whereas there is a glimpse of a possibility of a future where it might all shift and it might be possible for someone who's 16 and who's interested to have their mark on what the city and what the environment around them looks like. That was a conversation between curator Shimi Bose and Frederick Helberg, one half of the design duo Space Popular. This has been Thought Starters, recorded in the pod at White City Place. Thought Starters is a DNN Co. project for White City Place, produced by David Michon, recorded and edited by Sean Crook. To find out how you can record your own podcast at White City Place, find us at whitecityplace.com, on Twitter or Instagram with the handle at White City Place, or shoot us an email at podcast at whitecityplace.com. And please subscribe to Thought Starters on iTunes. Give us a rating and write us a comment. It really helps. Until next time. <laughs>